Let's turn our Bibles now to that passage that uh, we read together, Matthew chapter 2. And I also want you to be ready to turn, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. And we won't be speaking on the subject of Jacob's ladder this morning. I want you to know that. But uh, do have something I think will help us a little bit later on in our illustrate what we're focusing on this morning. But if you would turn to Matthew chapter 2. Now, I said earlier as we were reading that, uh, that it might have seemed a little ahead of schedule because, you know, we're only 11 days away from Thanksgiving. Can you believe that? 11 days to Thanksgiving. But so often, it is true that Thanksgiving becomes the forgotten holiday, at least here in our country, it seems. There's all of this intenseness and madness sometimes around Halloween, and then that takes place, and then starts to build up for another intenseness and madness that's somehow called Christmas. And in between those, this incredible season of Thanksgiving can get overlooked. It can be the forgotten holiday, but not by us, right? Not by us. If we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we live in thanksgiving, right? We live in thanksgiving. Everything, every day is a reason for thanksgiving. Now, Christmas is coming soon. Thanksgiving, very, very soon. But every day, the theme of every day as a holy day, every day is holy to the Lord, should be about Jesus first, right? Jesus first, that's about every season. And Matthew 2 that we read earlier, it reminds us of the holy season we'll be celebrating soon in Advent when we think about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and his birth. We read the account from Matthew chapter 2 that tells us about the wise men, the wise men who came. And I wanted us to read that passage this morning because I want us to see, even before we get into Christmas, before we get into Thanksgiving, why the wise men were wise. Why were the wise men wise? Well, there's three lessons here for all wise men and wise women. First thing is that wise men and women seek the king intently. They seek the king intently. Uh, it was in a thousand mile journey these men made. We sometimes referred to them as the three kings. They were not kings. Uh, and we don't know that there were three of them. The Bible doesn't say there were three. The Bible says they were wise men. And the word here is magi or magoi. And that goes back to the time of ancient Babylon and before were those who were especially expert in things having to do with the sciences, in particular astronomy, were referred to as the Magi. And you may remember that Daniel, that young man who was carried away captive by the Babylonians from Jerusalem, who lived the next 70 years as a captive in Babylon, was blessed by the Lord So that he became so noted for his wisdom and character that he was made the chief or the leader of the Magi. The leader of the Magi. And so Daniel there 
wrote his prophecy. And the prophecies of Daniel had much to do with about the coming of a king. Just laying out a, a pre-written history almost. And because in particular of what Daniel had written, these magi who were descendants of him in a sense in terms of their academic studies, and no doubt we can see his faith, they knew that the sign of this star they saw was the rising of the star, the scepter of Judah, to indicate that the one long-awaited, the promised one mentioned by Daniel, had come. And so they made this journey of over a thousand miles, and they were seeking the king intently. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? They were wise men. And they were wise also because when they found him, they worshipped the king fervently. They worshipped the king fervently. You know, this week as I was reading this passage, I noticed something that really I don't remember having noticed before. It just gripped me. Here are these foreigners who come to Jerusalem and they're asking about the birth of a child. And they say, we want to know where this child is so that we can worship him. What was the most blasphemous thing anybody could do under the law of Moses? What was the most blasphemous thing? To have any other gods before you. And here arrive these foreigners who say, The king has been born and we have come to worship him. Worship him. They Worshiped the king fervently. They were wise men. They sought the king intently. They wanted to worship him fervently. And when they found him, they honored the king generously. They honored him generously. Look at verse 11. And going into the house. Now let's stop there. It doesn't say going into the, the, into the stable or going into the cave. These wise men did not arrive the night of the nativity. I know that ruined some of our minds about those great Christmas pageants that we've seen and maybe been involved in. But the wise men were not there that night. They came later and evidently Joseph and Mary and the Christ child were living in a house in the vicinity of Bethlehem. And when they came into the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered to him, they offered to him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, the gift to a king. Frankincense, which was the special ointment of the priest. And myrrh, costly perfume used in the wrapping, in particular the wrapping of the dead. And so here they brought with them gifts that spoke of his very life. He is the king, the king of heaven and the king of the Jews. And he has come now as a priest, to offer himself as a sacrifice. So they bring to him frankincense, and he will give his life and die and be wrapped and anointed with 
a priceless perfume laid in a rich man's grave, but he will rise again. And here we have, at the very earliest days of his life, wise people, wise people, and they're wise because they seek the king intently. They worship the king fervently and they honor the king generously. Note the connection. They worshiped and out of their worship, they presented the offering. The offering was to the child. The offering was to the Lord. Now next Sunday, we have an offering that we call here the Jehovah Jireh offering. It is the offering that we give to the Lord the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Trusting Him for the provision for the year ahead. As we give thanks to Him for providing for us individually and collectively for the year past. He is Jehovah Jireh. And this year we've set aside this offering for the special cause of which I mentioned earlier. This vision, the 2020 vision, the expansion of our campus. We're trusting God to be, lavish His generosity on us in this season that we might be able to soon begin this project. But I want you to know there's a, a bigger goal, a bigger goal than just giving to an offering. It's not an, it's not an event. God forbid that this would become an event for us. It is not an event. It is an expression of worship. And it is an expression that worship that should not just be one day a year, but our worship in giving to the Lord should be a lifestyle, right? It should be a lifestyle. That's the reason one of our core values that we seek to develop here ourselves as believers here at West Park is to develop a lifestyle of worship-inspired generosity. Worship-inspired, not guilt-inspired or necessity-inspired or project-inspired, but our generosity is worship-inspired by the Lord who loved us and we love Him. Now that's true wisdom. That's true wisdom. And I want you to look. Now turn, I've asked you to be ready. Turn back to the book of wisdom. I want you to look at Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, because you'll see that wisdom, this wisdom of fervently seeking the Lord and worshiping Him and generously giving to Him, it is an expression of wisdom, not just of the magi, but of all wise followers of the Lord. Notice in Proverbs chapter 3, the son is being instructed by the father, who happens to be the king, Solomon, instructing his children. This whole book is a book of instruction about the principles of wisdom. The life of wisdom, which is a life devoted to God. And there are promises associated with the practice of these principles of wisdom. It's not a book of unconditional promises. It's a book of promises that are conditioned upon the practice of the principles given in this book. Now notice what this king Solomon says. He wants his children to be wise. 
So what does he tell them to do? Well, it's interesting. He tells them to seek the king intently. (laughs) To seek the king intently. Look at verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Seek the Lord. Trust him. Don't trust yourself. Don't lean on your own understanding. Seek the Lord, the King, intently. And then notice, he says you should worship the King fervently. Worship the King fervently. Look at verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And acknowledge here doesn't mean just recognize and sense, oh yeah, He's King. It doesn't mean sort of a tip-your-hat attitude. No, it means acknowledging an expression of surrender, recognizing his lordship and responding to that lordship. It's the idea of worship. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight. He'll make smooth your path. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. And turn away from evil. Fear here is not a dread in the sense that you run from the Lord. It's a love-motivated, awestruck response to the holiness of God and His mercy and grace. It It is love on your knees. It's all you are responding to all He is. That's the fear of the Lord. It's worship. It says, worship the King fervently. And then look at verses 9 and 10. What do wise men and women do? Not just the magi, but wise men and women honor the king generously. They honor the king generously. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce, Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with this new wine. Notice, first fruits, honor the Lord. Honor the Lord generously with the first fruits. That means first to the king. He says, then trust him. Your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats burst forth with new wine. He's talking about the agrarian culture of growing the grain and harvesting the grapes. That's the reason on the Jehovah Jireh chest. If you look at it intently, you'll see that I asked Leroy LaMontagne well over 20 years ago, put some uh, grapes a cluster of grapes on one side, put a shaft of wheat on the other, showing that if we honor the Lord, He will provide, He will take care of our needs, but we do this with the first fruits. We honor Him with the first fruits. If you put, look on the front of your bulletin this morning, you see a beautiful picture of holding up the first fruits of that harvest. The first fruit to God. Not the afterthought to God, not the leftovers to God, but the first fruit to the king. And then watch him honor those who honor him. Now next Sunday, 
we are receiving this Jehovah Jireh offering. But more than that, I'm encouraging you, and this is the focus for the next few minutes, and you will see in the packet of information that you've received to go beyond just giving and offering, and I pray that you will generously give to the Lord. But it's also a time for us to think about our ongoing generosity. It's a time to evaluate our, our commitment to ongoing lifestyle generosity. And so you'll notice that packet that you'll receive has a, a card like this. It's called the Jesus First Commitment Card. There's no place for your name. It's not a pledge. It's not something you'll be asked about. It's to ask yourself and to prayerfully consider what do I need to do to continue to grow as a believer in this area of generosity? What commitment do I need to make? And so it's in that spirit this morning that I want to encourage us in this challenge about taking the next step. Taking the next step in your generosity. And, and that's the reason for the ladder here. Okay, to take the next step. And I want you to think about this as the ladder of generosity. The ladder of generosity. Now, I'm going to put some things on this ladder on each step. And as I get prepared to do that, I want to tell you I'm very, very grateful to my wife, who is quite a patient lady uh, with me. I used to be able to say, she's patient with the kids. What a patient lady. Now we're empty nesters. <laughs> she still has to be patient, okay? Because sometimes I'll bounce an idea off of her. And she's so encouraging. I would say the majority of the time, she'll say, oh, that's a great idea, Sam. That's a great idea. I, I bounce everything off of her just about. Every once in a while, I'll bounce something off of her. And it's sort of you know, politely, well, hmm. Yeah. Which think. I think that means that's a stupid idea. Don't, don't do that. that. That's ridiculous. And I, I bounce this idea off her. So I think about how could I help people to think about the next step. And so a couple of days ago, I said, honey, I got this idea. And, and she said, you know, I think that's a good idea. That's good. And then I said, you know, I think it's going to be easy. And uh, so, hey, could you help me with it? And she said, oh, okay. And uh, so she helped me the last day or two with this. Uh, how many of you remember helping your kids with a science fair project? Anybody remember that? That'll test your Christianity. <laughs> you, you think you know the Lord till you get involved in a science project. <laughs> My wife was there the last day or two because I told her it'd be easy. Okay, easy for me. All right. But I said, you know, here's what I want to do. So she helped me, especially uh, with these cards, and I'm very, very grateful. But I want to encourage you to take the next step. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to just put some steps that I want you to think about. First of all, some people here maybe need to take what I call the initial step. The initial step. The initial step. What is that? Well, here's what the commitment card says. I tried to express it this way. I will begin... I will begin to give regularly to the Lord as an expression of worship. I'm going to get started. I'm going to begin 
giving to the Lord as an expression of worship. You, you, it's time to get started. And no longer just, you know, once in a while, now and here. But, but I, I'm a worshiper of the Lord. And I see that as I seek Him and I love Him, I want to honor Him in this way of worship. And so you get started. You just say, I'm going to take that first step. And that first step, of course, it's, it's a baby step. But guess what? It's a step up. It's a step up. Take the step to say, I will begin to give regularly to the Lord as an expression of worship. Take the first step on the ladder of generosity. Some of us need to take that first step. We need to stop the hit and miss and say, no, this is going to be a regular expression of my following the Lord. And then the next step, and some need to take this step, is to step to consistent giving. A step to consistent giving. Here's what this means. It means I will take the next step in stewardship by increasing my giving to the Lord in worship. I have been giving, and God has been good. He's provided. I need to be more consistent. It needs to be a part of my lifestyle. And as God, God's provided for me, so I, I need to grow in this area. I need to take the next step. Maybe I've been at this level for a while or this level of consistency. I need to take the next step into consistent giving. And friends, consistent steps, you know what that begins? Consistent steps are a journey, are a journey. They're a journey. You know, many times I have people come in and I'll have a time of counsel with them and they're struggling. And after I listen to them for a while, here's what I'll say. I'll say, you know what? It seems to me I'm hearing you say, it's like you take three steps forward and two steps back. Three steps forward and two steps back. And they'll say, that's exactly right, Sam. That's exactly how I feel. Then I surprise them by saying, praise God. Praise God. <laughs> what? Three steps forward, two steps back. What's happening? You're making progress. You can go out here and get on Middlebrook Pike and go three steps forward, two steps back, and you can walk around the world. Progress. Make progress. Don't stop. It's a journey. And take a, start being consistent in this journey of generosity. What's the third step? Many need to take this step. Many need to take this step. It's to begin the step that I would call proportional giving. Proportional giving. That you're giving in proportion to what God has given to you. Now look at our text. Look at our text in Proverbs chapter 3. This is exactly what's being communicated. He says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Wealth here doesn't mean when you've made it. It means whenever you make it. <laughs> As you are making your income, honor the Lord 
with your first fruits. Here is a proportional commitment that many here I would encourage to make. It's this. I will begin to give a tithe. One-tenth. That's what tithe means. One-tenth. I will begin to give a tithe of my income as an expression of worship to the Lord. Now here's what I want you to understand. Look at verse 9 again. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits. We don't have time to go into this deeply in a Bible study exposition this morning, but first fruits in the Bible refers to giving the tithe. That was the first fruit. You look up the usage of the expression first fruit, compare it to the usage of the giving of a tithe, and you find out that the giving of a first fruit is the giving of the first tenth back to God. And not 90% of it is yours and 10% is his. What do we know? 100% of it is whose? The Lord. But he says, I want you to honor me with the first fruits, giving the tenth. Now, someone will say, and I just will anticipate the question, and it's an honest question. The question is this. Isn't that Old Testament law? Sam, didn't you, just, didn't you just finish a series on Hebrews that we're, we're under the new covenant? Isn't that Old Testament law, this thing about the tithe? And the answer is no. The tithe is not Old Testament. Here's what the tithe is. The tithe is pre-law, law, and post-law. Pre-law, law, and post-law. You say, Sam, what are you talking about? The Bible tells us that Abraham gave tithes to the Lord... And he lived 700 years before the law. Jacob gave tithes to the Lord. And he lived over 400 years before the law. The principle of the tithe was very much preceding Moses. Moses was given the direction by God to put it into the code of the law. The constitution of Israel. That they were to give their first fruits as his people. They were to give their first fruits, the tithe, to the Lord. But then you also find that the tithe is post-law. Because Jesus commended the giving of a tithe. He commended it. He said to the religious leaders of the day, He said, you're giving your tithe of everything you possess, even down to your seeds. Then Jesus said this, that is something you should have done. That's a good thing. Giving that tithe is a good thing. But you should have first of all given the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and kindness. You should have done the one and not left the other undone. What's the point? Jesus wasn't saying, hey, that giving of the tithe, that's all legalistic, that's done away. No, he said, no, that's a good thing. You should have given the tithe, but there was something more important than the external giving of money that God was looking for, and that was justice and mercy, kindness. Do the one and don't leave the other undone. So 
What ends the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament when it comes to giving? What is the difference? If I were to sum up everything I understand about the difference between Old Testament giving and New Testament giving, I would express it this way. The Old Testament giving is law giving. The New Testament giving is grace giving. Grace giving. In the Old Testament... It's external. Yes, you need to give the first fruits, give the tithe. It's external. But now in the New Testament, we're in a new covenant. And the covenant is not etched on stone. The covenant is a new covenant etched in our new heart given to us by Jesus. And we don't give because we have to, because the law says you need to give. That's not the motive. The motive is God has done such a work in my heart that I love him. I'm his. He's my father. I'm his child. I'm in his family. I'm part of his kingdom. And I have the privilege of giving. It's the grace of giving. That's all the difference in the world. That's inside out. And it may sound like it's upside down. But I want to tell you, it's right side up. Don't ask me to say that again, okay? I hope, hope I got that right, okay? Now, I want to stop here just for a moment. And I want to take a burden off people. Some people here, your desire right now is to be generous and giving, but you are in such a financial crisis, difficulty, maybe related to unemployment, job, You cannot give. As you want to give, maybe not give at all. I want you to understand, God says he looks at giving as what a person wants to do. If they could. And a person who's in dire need, guess what our giving, who are not in dire need, is supposed to be about? To help those who are in need, right? Right? It's more blessed to give than to receive, but it takes grace to receive. And some of us, from time to time, we need the grace to receive from others who are giving. And so, my friend, don't in any way hear what I'm saying as being a burden on anybody here who financially just says, you you just can't imagine the situation I'm in right now. But, having said that, I do want to address those who say, you know what? Here we are, we're talking about money again. We're talking about money You know, I kind of get tired of that, Sam, just to be honest with you. You know, I'm honestly sort of thinking, you know, it'd be nice to go to a church that never talks about money. It it just never comes up. They just don't ever discuss money. Well, friend, you can go somewhere like that. But I want to tell you right now, you won't be going to a biblical church. You might be going to a support group for Coveters Anonymous. But it's not a church. Because any church, which is a biblical church with biblical leadership, is going to get directions from the Bible. And guess what the Bible talks about a lot? Money. And guess who in the Bible talked more about money than anybody else? Jesus of Nazareth. So if you don't want to be a part of a worship that ever talks about money... You might want to take it up. It's above my pay grade, just telling you. All right? Talk to him. Because he talked about it all the time. 
because he knows how important it is in our hearts. Many of us need to take this step. We need to take this step of honoring the Lord with our first fruits and saying, of all God gives me, I will set aside that first fruit, the tenth, first to the Lord in worship as an act of worship. It's not an investment technique. You give, God gives. This is, this is not some leverage with God. This is worship. This is worship. What's the next step? The next step is this. And there are some of us here, no doubt, that need to take this step. And I call that the step of abundant giving. Abundant giving. What is this? This commitment is this. I will move beyond giving a tithe and will give a greater portion of my income to the Lord in worship. I will move beyond that. I've been there. Maybe some of you, you've been there for years. But you say, now I want to move beyond that. As God has blessed me, I want to move beyond. I want to grow in this. It's interesting what this is referred to in the Bible. You know how the Apostle Paul refers to it? He refers to it as the grace of giving. The grace of giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, as you are abounding in everything. He says, as you excel in everything. See it on the screen? You excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge. You are excelling in earnestness. You are excelling in your love. See that you excel in this act of grace as well. Guess what he's talking about in two chapters, chapter 8 and chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. He's talking about giving and he calls it grace. All of this is grace. Your faith, grow in faith. Grow in your ability to speak God's word and to share truth. Grow in your knowledge and your understanding of the Lord. That's grace. Grow in your earnestness that God's given you a greater zeal and passion for him. Grow in your love for others. Grow in that grace, but grow in this grace also. Grow in this grace. And so, friends, here's what I would just very practically encourage you to do this morning. Some of us, we need to evaluate our giving in light of our increased income. Maybe you've seen increase in income, but as you've increased in income, you've just stayed at a certain level. And you need to say, God has provided for me. I need to evaluate my giving based on what God is giving to me. I evaluate that. And I need, as he's given me more, I want to give more. Secondly, evaluate your giving in light of your standard of living. Let me tell you what is such a challenge for us here. Is that as God gives us more, we have our standard of living. But as God gives us more, if we're not careful, guess what we do? 
we just increase our standard of living to parallel our standard of income so that they just track together. Yes, we're earning more than we've ever earned, but we've just raised our standard of living and we keep raising it so that the margin stays the same. I wouldn't challenge you. I challenge myself to say, as God has changed my standard of living, I need not just to use it all up, but see it as an opportunity to be more generous. Uh, let me share it with you this way. Hey, you're raising your children. And guess what? They eat a lot. The grocery bills. They take showers like it's a steam room. You know, that, that little boy, you couldn't get out of a mud puddle. You can't get him out of that shower. You know what I'm saying? And your daughters, well, who knows what that's all about? You know, that's just a whole nother thing. And then your friend, the orthodontist. Oh, man. When you start getting Christmas cards from your orthodontist, that's not a good thing. I'm the only member of my family who's not had braces. I mean, Susan even had them. Okay? And college and school. But guess what? You reach a time when you're an empty nester, maybe. And those expenses now have gone down. What are you going to do as your needs have gone down and you still have your standard of income, or maybe it's increased? You have a greater opportunity to be more generous. More generous. Maybe it's even a possibility to downsize. So that you have greater margin to be more generous. Establish a comfortable standard of living. A comfortable place. But say, above that, we want to use the resources for the kingdom of God. The worship of the Lord. Giving to Him. Just a thought. And there's a fifth step. And this fifth step... I'm going to call legacy giving. Legacy giving. You say, what's that? That's giving associated with your final stewardship. That's giving associated with your final stewardship. What do I mean by that? I mean that's putting Jesus first in your last will and testament. I'll just be that bold. Putting Jesus first... And what will probably for most of us be the greatest opportunity that we've ever had to transfer resources to the kingdom of God. The greatest opportunity we've ever had to transfer a lifetime of God's blessing of us. And to say the very first thing I want to be done in my will and testament... I give praise to my God who saved me and stood with me all these years and I want to give out of my accumulated resources first to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You say, well, what about your children? Well, certainly it's a blessing to pass on to your children or your grandchildren. But I want to tell you this, friends. Listen carefully, moms and dads and grandfathers. The most priceless legacy 
you can pass on to your children is a life lived for Jesus Christ. And to let your children know the legacy that you have given to them is not when you've breathed your last. The legacy you have given is every breath you've lived as an example to them, a pattern for them, to care for them. That's your legacy. Make that your first legacy. My dear friends, that is legacy living. Susan and I ourselves have taken this step. Yes, we have a last will and testament. And I don't know if there will be anything left. I tell my kids, get ready. Our turn. (laughs) But I'll tell you this. The very first thing that's in our last will and testament is a statement of our faith in Jesus Christ and a statement of the first proceeds from our estate to go to our God as an act of final worship through this church that we have served and worshipped in for all these years. That's the first thing in our will. I would challenge you to do the same. Be very careful That in your last will and testament, you don't enable people who've not yet learned to live for the Lord with what they do have. Don't pour God's money into people unless they've learned to live that life for Jesus Christ. Be very careful about that. What should your next step be? Well, I encourage you to just take a step of expressing faith. That's faith. That's a step of 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 faith. And don't send me a letter saying, hey, you're not supposed to stand up there. Saying, don't do that. I know that, okay? It's a step of faith. Just take another step. What a great way to live. Just take another step. Not based on what you wish you had, but what you do have. Just another step. And if you take a step of faith, you know what you will experience? You'll experience God. You'll experience God. Why does God ask you to give? Guess what? He doesn't need your money. God's not hurting. (laughs) He's not. So he doesn't need our money. What's he after? He's not after our money. He's after us. Oh, yeah. You got to watch him. He'll get you. No. What's God want to do? He wants to give to you. What does he want to give me? He wants to give you his joy. He's a generous God, a gracious God, a kind God who enjoys lavishing his kindness on creation, especially his children. He says, hey, kids, I want you to get in on this. And when you give to him, you experience his joy. And that's priceless. That's priceless. Don't rob yourself of that. Don't rob yourself of the joy, the priceless joy of generosity.